Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. Week one of this series was a couple weeks ago. It's why we have a fish nailed to the stage. Uh, we were talking about upstream. We are upstream people. We've been created to go against the mainstream. We are upstream, countercultural, against the current people. It is what Jesus has called us to be. Last week, we got into what does it mean to be smaller in a world that is demanding everything be bigger. So today, it is uh, the time for slower. And we're actually going to get to a different fish in just a minute. So this is not going to be the only fish. We're gonna, there's another fish coming. Uh, before we get to that, I would, I would argue that uh, one of the victims of our fast-paced life, this is a fast-paced life, one of the victims of that in our digital world and our always-on culture and our 24-7 news cycle is your attention span. Some of you have already checked out. <laughs> Ugh, it's a lot. When everything is fast twitch and uh, big explosions, we often miss the beauty of everyday life. We miss the creative beauty of everyday life. We miss the, uh, really, the magic that has been created around us by God. And the world around us implores us to be faster and more productive and more efficient. So you want better download speeds and that 5G phone so you can zip around the internet faster. You want more and more and more and more. And can I have it faster, please? Which is all making us much better as a people and much happier as a people, isn't it? Like I said, it's not helping our attention span. I found online, our attention span has dropped in the last 15 years even. Kara, go ahead and show them what we're talking about. In 2000, the average attention span of a human was 12 seconds. 2013, confirmed again in 2015, 8 seconds. The average attention span of a goldfish is 9 seconds. Some of you stopped paying attention about 3 seconds ago. What? What is this about goldfish? They're giving away goldfish today. This is what's happened. Now, in the greatest bit of irony, I saw this is around the internet a lot. This is everywhere on the internet. A lot of things about goldfish and attention span. I don't know how you measure goldfish attention span. I'm not really sure how they do that. Um, but I was moving too quick through the internet to find out, so I just kept on moving. I just trusted it. Here we go. On we go. This gives you a picture, though, of going, that's not really true of me, is it? Is it? Speed itself is not evil, so don't get me wrong. We're not against speed. But our willingness to slow down or even exercise patience seems to be eroding. And I like the phrase, exercise patience. Because how many of us have tried to exercise? And it just feels like it takes too long. And so what do we do in our modern world? We have quick fixes. So before the shake weight, or whatever the thing is that shocks your abdomen into a six-pack, before that, we had the 70s and the 80s, and the 70s and 80s gave us the ultimate exercise quick fixes. Oh, my word. Some of you people owned inflatable sauna shorts. That guy in the air shorts, I'm a little uncomfortable. If you saw the guy in the air shorts or the sauna shorts walking down your street, there's like a 50-50 chance you're calling the police at that moment. Just like something is very wrong right now. I don't know what this is. 
The, the sauna exercise suit, it's literally just a trash bag designed to make you sweat out your excess water weight. And then you take off the sauna suit and it all kind of comes back. It was, it's one gimmick after another. This is what we're after though. What if I put my leg inside of this belt that just shakes furiously? Will that help? Yes, yes it will, $800. We are desperate for quick fixes in a world where we have to acknowledge that transformation always takes time. That changing a habit, adding a skill, or I would even say finding mercy and grace and forgiveness and faith takes time. So what we're going to do today is dip back into the world of Jesus. We're going to go to a story that we actually talked about in here in February. So if it sounds familiar, that's why. And we're going to revisit a story and listen to Jesus. He says this in Luke chapter 13. Jesus told them a story. He said, a man had an apple tree planted in his front yard. He came to it expecting to find apples, but there weren't any. And so he said to his gardener, what is going on here? For three years now, I've come to this tree expecting apples, and not one apple have I found. Chop it down. Why waste good ground with it any longer? But the gardener said, let's give it another year. I'll dig around it and fertilize it, and maybe it will produce next year. If it doesn't then, then we'll chop it down. It's a story essentially about um, the mercy of God, where this man is sick of waiting for fruit that he's expecting from his tree. Expectations are, are the chief source of our frustration. All frustration is, is rooted in unmet expectations. So if you expected to get here in five minutes today and you hit a train or a red light or a traffic jam, I don't know, traffic jam, you were frustrated because it took you eight minutes and you expected five minutes. If you pull into the drive-thru and you expect the drive-thru to take four minutes, it takes 24 minutes, you're frustrated. Why? Because expectations. If I told you it takes 24 minutes, you'd be fine. So this is an experience in frustration that this man is happening as the expected result of the tree is not coming to fruition. The gardener represents God's perspective here. And the gardener offers to spend more time and to nurture the tree further, offers to add fertilizer, which is so beautifully ordinary and slow. He didn't attach a shaking belt to it. Maybe this will help. He didn't put sauna shorts on the tree. He just says, look, ordinary, slow. The man wants to chop it down, which is a quick and decisive move. We would prize that. That's called executive function. And the gardener wants to apply manure, which is slow and boring. And I'm here to challenge you today to say that you have been invited into the way of the gardener. You've been invited into the way of the ordinary in the way of the slow, in the way of the cultivated over time. You live in a world of DoorDash and TikTok and tweets and emojis. We think we're making progress. I'm not here to take down modern culture. I am here to say that people think that like emojis have been a big improvement in communication. I can say more faster just using this tiny picture. I'm guilty of this as well. You send me a text, I might just text you back some praying hands. Look, he must be praying for me. Is he though? We think we're making progress. The irony of, of, of emoji is this new incredible way of communicating with each other. I don't know if you guys remember like fourth grade history when they talked about hieroglyphics on the walls and caves. We have moved back to that. We're like cave people going, look, I drew a horse and I sent it to you. And people are like, this is improvement. This is good. We've come all the way back around. I've, there's no point to that. I just wanted to point out that emojis are just digital hieroglyphics, and so good luck with that this week. Everything is faster. Everything is 
quicker. Everything is immediate. You don't have money to buy that stock? Buy a fractional piece of the stock. You want this asset? Why? So you can flip it. You want cryptocurrency? Why? Because if I speculate, I can double my money in days. There's a thing called CryptoPunks. I don't even know what it is, but it's the dumbest thing on earth, and they're selling for millions of dollars. Why? Nobody knows. But it's an immediate gratification. It is a flip. The world around us keeps getting faster, and we keep speeding up with it. Dig around it. Fertilize it. No, we, are, we become a nation of Veruca salts. I want it now. I want it now. Do you wait for your doctor's appointment? No. What do you do? Google it. And then freak out because all of the things that you find when you Google anything is the worst thing ever. Like my eye itches and it's like, well, you're probably dying. You're dead. Give up. I'm not even going to the doctor anymore. I think I'll just call the funeral home and start getting things processed. We trained ourselves to love speed, and with speed comes adrenaline. This is why we love it. It's chemical. There's a chemical cocktail you get every time you get that gratification cycle uh, gratified. Every time you click buy online, you get a hit of a chemical cocktail. Every time you get that hit of sugar from the drive-through drink that you just had to have because I can't make it five more minutes or I need a little burst of energy, every time you, there is a chemical cocktail in your body happening that tells you this is good and this feels good and you should do more of this. It's addictive is what it is. We are addicted to speed because of the reward mechanisms built in us, and we'll talk more about that in the weeks to come. But addiction isn't usually very healthy, and it's not healthy in this either. Uh, John Ortberg, the pastor, once asked his mentor, Dallas Willard, what do I need to do to have a more spiritually healthy life? What do I need to do to have a more spiritually healthy life? I want to grow my spiritual health. What do I do? And Dallas Willard is, if you have never heard that name, he is one of the most revered and respected uh, 20th century faith leaders. Just reputation above renown. And his response to John Ortberg when he was asked, how do I get more spiritual health? His response was, ruthlessly eliminate hurry. And Ortberg said, okay, it's a good start, but then what? Like, what do I do to get more spiritually healthy? And Willard looked at him again and said, ruthlessly eliminate hurry. So before we can get to how slower restores us, before we can understand what it even means to ruthlessly eliminate hurry, we have to see how speed and, and, and our desire for faster actually is, is, is taking us down. That, that the faster life we're living has a way of fading our mercy and fading our grace and even fading our faith. And so if we're going to really embrace this idea of we need to slow down in some areas of our life, we have to first understand what the, the negative is of the speed that we're operating at. So I said the first thing is fading mercy. The man in the story says, chop it down, but speed opposes mercy. It's not producing, so chop it down. Speed steals the space where mercy grows, right? Mercy takes time. You have to give it space. Speed says, no, there's no space. There's no time. Chop it down. Plant something else. This is relationally disastrous in our culture. If you wonder why our relationships seem a little more fractured than ever, because mercy takes time, and we don't have time anymore. Understanding takes time. In, in, a, in a culture where everything has to be instant gratification, where resolution has to happen yesterday for my problem of tomorrow, I don't have time to wait and hear your perspective. I need resolution now. But you can't microwave relationship. 
Relationship takes time. Growing with others takes time. Reconciling takes time. The number of people who come into my office and go, we just haven't, I don't, I don't sense forgiveness, there's no reconciliation, how do we do this? I thought we forgave. And the response I always give is, it's, it's a decision. Yes, reconciliation, forgiveness, that's a decision. But it's a daily decision. And, and for it to take, for it to be felt truly, for, I forgive you is a great thing to say, and I can mean it. I forgive you is something that I show you over decades when it never comes back around. Reconciliation is a decision and a process. Forgiveness is a decision and a process. Empathy. You go to our culture and you go, this is a divided culture. Nobody understands each other. Everybody's yelling at each other. Why? We lost, we lost our empathy. We don't, no one wants to walk in anyone else's shoes. No one wants to understand what anybody else is going through. Not because we don't secretly want it, but we don't have time to get there. Empathy is a learning journey. If I want to know your perspective and know what you've been through, I have to ask some questions. I don't have time for that. Forgiveness is a day-to-day surrender. Empathy is a day-to-day journey. In a world of speed, we do not have time to hear someone's story or know their trauma or know their trials or understand any of their history. And because we don't have time for that, we just put them in whatever the easiest shallow category is and we move on. I cannot walk a mile in someone else's shoes because don't you know how long that would take and don't you know how busy I am? So we judge early. It's not producing. Chop it down. We don't want to put it in the work of reconciliation. Can I fix this with a text? A conversation. That could take a while. So we roll our eyes. And we write people off. And we move on. And then we call it boundaries. That's not boundaries. We don't want to know the pain of others. we got enough things to worry about, and have you seen my schedule lately? So maybe just post it on Facebook, and I'll scroll through and read it later. We hold tight to our opinions and our worldview, and we curse the person trying to tell us a story of a different way. Chop them down. I don't have time for this nonsense. Speed opposes mercy. Next, we have fading grace. So speed opposes grace. If mercy is being able to suffer with someone and get past their misstep and grow together, that's mercy, then grace is about seeing what's possible. So we do this pretty regularly. Whenever we talk about mercy and grace, I want to put the same slide up that you've seen before so we don't get these confused. Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. Grace is what, when you get what you don't deserve. So you get pulled over. Mercy is the officer writes you a warning. You didn't get a ticket even though you deserved it. Grace is the officer gives you a $100 bill and sends you on your way. You didn't earn that, but you got it anyway. Mercy and grace. God's mercy says, I forgive you for your sins. I'm going to let you off even though you earn something different. God's grace says, though you earn death, I have a plan for you, and it's to prosper you and not to harm you. I have a plan to give you life. Grace is life, overflowing life, slower life, but it's a good life. Grace is deposited instantly, so don't mishear me. When I say grace takes time, grace is a slow process. It's deposited instantly. When you get God's grace, you get all of it immediately. Like if I deposit a a billion dollars in your bank account today, you have it all. Now how you learn how to use it, spend it, live with it is going to be different. You can't spend it the second you get it. You've got to learn what it means to even have it. 
And it's going to be a transformation process for you to become a billionaire overnight. So you've been given all of God's grace. You have the depth of God's grace. It's been fully deposited in you. Now the rest of life is learning how to live with it. It's like the beauty around us. You guys, we miss it. This spring, I, I told myself, I've been working, like I said, I've been kind of dealing with this content for a couple of years and trying to figure out how to apply it to my own life. And this spring, I said, I'm going slower when things start to bloom because we miss it. The spring happens, and then it's going, and everybody's sneezing, and then it's summer, and then it's like, ah, whatever, it's just seasons. I'm just happy it's not snowing. It's fine. And I said, I don't want to miss it this year. I planted a couple ornamental cherry trees in our backyard a few years ago. And this year, I took the time, and I went out, and I just stared at it. I got a picture I took. It's really up close. It's just sitting in my backyard. But if I got slow enough, and I got close enough, and I looked hard enough, there's so much brilliant detail that I walk right by every day because I got places to be. I got to get to a meeting. I got to respond to an email. And God says, but listen, I did this. And this is a reflection. This is a sliver of a shadow of the beauty I've created. So maybe stop. My neighbors must have thought I was on some sort of drugs. The angle, you know, I'm just looking at all. But beauty was there. And so I started seeing it everywhere. I sent this story out on an email newsletter this week, so I spoiled it for you a little bit. But my daughter and I, Bella, sorry, Bella. We were at TJ Maxx. We're going to TJ Maxx. She needed something. I don't remember what, but TJ Maxx has everything. They have everything. Throw pillows and popcorn and furniture and clothing and who knows what. They got it all. Shake weights if you want one. Um, so we're going to TJ Maxx. We're like after school, before dance. We had to run in real quick. We ran in, kind of did that thing where you're like, they don't have the thing I need. I know they don't have it. Okay, out we go. So we run out to the parking lot. It's one of those windy spring days, and she is just getting hit. There's like this white, it looks like we entered a ticker tape parade. There's just confetti flying all over us. And she keeps getting hit by it. She's like, ah, what, what is this? What is this terrible? Ah. And she's all frustrated. We're running back to the car. Got places to be. Stop it with this intrusion. I stopped her and she looked at me like, oh gosh, it's one of these dad moments. And in the TJ, TJ Maxx big box soulless parking lot, if you look down the way, between the Planet Fitness or whatever it's called in the Home Depot, there's a line of flowering trees planted to demarcate the parking lots. And the wind was blowing flowers at us. <laughs> and I said, Bella, you're being assaulted by beauty. And she was like, uh, uh, I've got beauty in my mouth. You know, like, it's fine. But we're rushing. We don't even see that there is, we are being assaulted by beauty every single day. But you don't see it at 70 miles an hour. You have to slow down. We move too fast for beauty, and I would argue that there's nothing more beautiful than grace, and I think we move too fast for grace to take hold in our life. That we have the deposit, but we're moving too fast to ever access it. Paul says this to the Philippians. He says, therefore, my friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, he says this, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. 
There's a whole lot more context here, but I want you to focus on this spot where he says, work out your salvation. Work out your salvation. Begin to flex the muscle of grace. Begin to learn what it means to walk in that. Begin to, to work out and walk out this thing you've been, you've been given salvation, but now you have to walk it out. You have to learn what it means to live in it. You have to learn what it means to, to carry that. You have to learn. It's this journey. Because God has a purpose. He says, God has a good will and a purpose for your life, but you will miss it because you're going to fly right by it. Grace has to be walked in and experienced. It has to be grown in and actually grown another way. You have to kind of suffer your way into it sometimes. You have to figure out what grace means when you have to reapply it to your life. We are a people desperate for a sauna suit, and God wants us to take a spring stroll and notice beauty. But he has you here for a reason. There's a plan. God sees what's possible in you. He wants to work it out in you. And he wants to make you part of his redemption plan. And we say, but I got a lot to do. I don't know if this is going to hit you because we're going even too fast this morning. But God sees promise and potential in you. Like you have to really stop and, and consider that that's a, that's a reality. That the God of the universe created you on purpose with a specific intention, and now sees promise and potential in you. And so on your worst day and your lowest moment, in the time when you go, what is this even about? Whether you're 16 or 76, it doesn't matter. God has more for you. God has promise and potential laid out in front of you. Can you see it? Can you see it in yourself? Sometimes the better way to find out if you have it in you is to, can you see it in someone else? Do you see promise and potential in the people around you? Do you see the people around you have purpose and intentionality in their life? Do you have the ability to see grace in other people, to grace them with promise and potential, to see the plan that might be in them? Do you have the slowness in your life that you might stop and see someone who's faltering and apply grace? dig around, fertilize, wait. Some of you need to apply grace to yourselves. Others of you need to learn how to apply grace to others. In his book, The Long Obedience in the Same Direction, Eugene Peterson is really tackling the question of what is discipleship. And if you want to read something about what it means to do life well, if you want to really, what's the, if you said, what's the one book on slower? I need more slow in my life. Not like I need to not get as much done. I need to understand what it means to have a soul that is on God's time and rhythm, I would say go buy this book. The, even the title implies that this is a lifetime's work, that, that following Jesus is not a quick fix, it's not an immediate thing, it is a long obedience in the same direction. There's no immediate resolution to your relationship with Christ, there's no immediate gratification even for most people, it's like this is hard sometimes. What you've been invited into is obedience and possibility. Obedience and possibility. Every trial you're in, there's obedience and possibility. There's what should you be doing and what does God want to do with it. And so only when we see it in each other have we really understood grace. I really think only when we see possibility and potential in each other have we really found the true meaning of grace. Peterson says it this way in the book. He says, A community of faith flourishes when we view each other with expectancy. Wondering what God will do today in this one, in that one. 
when we are in a community with those Christ loves and redeems, we are constantly finding out new things about them. The community of faith flourishes when we see each other with expectancy. How good does it feel when someone looks at your life and sees potential in you? How good does it feel when someone looks at your life and points out something about you that you thought nobody saw? When they see not only your potential and your possibility, but they see the indwelling of God within you. When someone points that out, there's nothing that feels so good as when you're recognized for not only who you know to be yourself, but but things you didn't even know about yourself. Someone is is seeing grace in you. Peterson says that's when we know we found grace, when the community of faith comes together and we are all looking at each other, not as people in the way of my agenda, not as people slowing me down on getting to the exit, not as people that are in front of me in the drive-thru, so I have to wait longer. We see each other with this expectancy of hope and grace, and I look at you and I go, there is so much pent-up potential. And you look at your neighbor and you go, man, imagine what's possible if we got aligned. Imagine what's possible if we followed God's purpose for us. Imagine what's possible if the thing he put in me was actually lived out. That's beautiful. We've, we've made discipleship in our Western culture what we can add to somebody. What is discipleship? Well, you go through a program and you read these books and I tell you these lessons and then you're discipled. That's not discipleship. Discipleship is not what we can add to people. It is about what we can do to help reveal what God has put in them. How do we reveal God's indwelt holiness? It's, it's about pulling stuff out of them, not putting stuff into them. But that takes so much more time. That's why Jesus keeps taking these guys and putting them in awkward situations and giving them little jobs that they're no good at and watching them fail. It's not about what he can add to them. He has to show them what's already in them, that the full indwelling of grace is in them, that the full indwelling of the Spirit will be theirs. And as they work that out, faith grows. You don't add fruit to the tree by going and hanging apples on it. Fruit comes from within. The holiness built into the the tree, it it comes out over time and with expectancy. But it requires a holy curiosity. Our discipleship requires holy curiosity. I snuck in a line here from Jesus. Jesus is in in Matthew 9, scuffling with people who are doubting him and and questioning him and skeptical. And he says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I've come to, not to call the righteous, but sinners. The, The only part I want you to see is go and learn what this means. Jesus doesn't give them the answer. He gives them a task to go and learn what something means. Go and soak in something. Go be curious. Go, go walk out this journey. I'm going to give you a statement and I want you to just go and learn what it means. That's beautiful. And it's slow. He could have given them a longer response that had all the right answers, and here's your four application points. And he says, go walk walk this idea out. Go work out this statement with fear and trembling. Go and learn what this means. Jesus, I don't have time. You're right. When we were in South Africa, American teams would come over, and, and we'd host these missionary teams, and island time, African time. There's always, there's time. Third world countries have a different set of time than, than westernized first world countries. So if you've ever been in an island scenario or a third world, it's usually things just go slower and they never run on time. So the Americans would come over and they're on an agenda and they're on a schedule and they're ready to do things and we would smile and go, oh, they have no idea how frustrating this is going to be. <laughs> we'll pick you up at nine. A.M., P.M., we're not sure yet. We'll just, we'll see you at nine. And they just, they were so frustrated. 
And the pastor would always sit them down at the beginning. Pastor Willie, he would, he would set the whole group in front of him in the front of the church. It's in the first two rows. And he'd kind of growl at them all the things they were going to be doing. And then he would say, listen, you've got the watches. We have the time. And they'd look at him funny, and he'd, he'd be like, go and learn what this means, is what he's saying. You have a watch, we have time, don't worry. Because they were on this. And he says, we, we operate on a different level of time than you do. You operate on four seconds, eight seconds, 12 seconds. He says, we're operating on people time. When the people show up, the service begins. What time does church start? When the people show up. Well, that's not efficient. I have places to be. Your place to be is with the people. Go and learn what this means. Go and find the patience that it requires to live with God and to walk so slowly. I should have I had that goldfish picture back up right now because most of you are like, what? What's that? Is it? Oh, we're still talking. More than nine seconds. You can't rush a lifetime of growth. The reason we so admire people who have been married for so long is, is the wisdom in people that have walked that path for so long is insane. Because you can't have it on day one. You can't have it on year 10. But year 30, year 50, wow. There's just so much you can't microwave. You can't rush a lifetime of growth. You can't rush grace. There's no quick fix. It is a long obedience. Speed opposes grace. All this leads to fading faith. We, as a culture, are quick to anger, quick to judge. We have no mercy for others, and we actually don't have a whole lot of grace for ourselves. This is why we have the shame culture. And we look at faith, and it's a long obedience, and it's slow growing, and add some manure, and do something ordinary, and we go, oh, I don't have time for that either. I got to be productive. I got to stay efficient. I got to keep moving. Some of you have started to wonder if we're going to get out of here in an hour. You know you have. He's still talking. Is this his last point? Check your watch. Last week, church was 67 minutes long. Did you notice? I wonder if they're going to go short this week and make up for the time. Maybe we'll just keep talking slower. Prayer in the morning. Four occasionally awkward minutes alone with God. Don't have time for that. Got to make my instant oatmeal and my drive through coffee and get on. I got stuff to do. God of the universe, three minutes, eight minutes, four minutes, read it. Oh. Charity, serving people. I don't have time for me, much less you. Faith life and slow growth and long obedience takes time. The challenge is that speed opposes faith. That leaves us hopeless. My marriage is still broken. I don't have time to work on it or talk about it and forget counseling. Do you know how long that takes? I can't kick my bad habit. I've had this for a long time and I don't know, what is it, 30 days, 60 days? Whatever they say, it's too many days. Is there a pill? No? I'm out. I don't feel close to God because I cannot sit in his presence for more than eight seconds, but Instagram and TikTok and Netflix and whatever else it is that can offer me immediate gratification, that can give me that dopamine hit, that can give me the chemical cocktail, I will take that because it makes me feel good. Faith, work it out with fear and trembling patiently? No, 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 no. Click. If speed opposes faith and that leaves us hopeless, the question becomes, where is hope? 
How do we find hope in a world that is so fast, too fast, and is opposing everything that we have been called into? And the answer to that is to ask Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard, how do we find hope in a world where we are moving too fast to experience mercy and grace, where our faith is fading because we're flying by it? And Dallas Willard would simply say, ruthlessly eliminate hurry. If you ruthlessly eliminate hurry, you will find hope and grace. If you slow down, you will begin to see it again. The things you miss at 70 miles an hour are strangely apparent when you walk. So you've been invited to an upstream and countercultural life. You've been charged to swim against the current. So let me, let me solve an expectation problem and a frustration thing that's about to happen. Is, is I keep saying we're going to go upstream. We're going to go against the current. And the potential frustration here is it's so slow. So let me set your expectations right. Have you ever run into the wind or you're a cyclist and you bike into the wind? Or maybe you're, you've swam or kayaked into the current? It's slower. Upstream is always slower. Into the wind is always slower. Against the grain is always slower. Jesus didn't call us to this saying it will be faster and easier and more efficient. It will be slower. The upstream life is slower. But life with Jesus is not built for speed, but purpose. So if you want to go fast, go. See ya. If you want to go with purpose, then Jesus has a way for you. We've been chosen and actually redesigned. Scripture says you're a new creation, a new creation that will not desire immediate results, but something greater and something eternally. It's hidden eternity in your heart so that you might go through life recognizing that the next dopamine hit is not what you're here for. It's something greater and something that lasts. So not only is your mercy new every morning, you now have the time to receive it, to actually wake up and open your hands and go, God, I receive. Your scripture says mercies are new every morning, and I've said that to other people, but I don't actually receive that, so I receive it this morning. Your mercy is new every morning. Beauty is all around us. There are bursts of grace interrupting the drudgery of another day and the dopamine of DoorDash addictions. There's beauty. But to see it, you have to put down the axe, the chop them down mentality that we have in our culture. You have to put it down and realize that faith grows in long seasons. And so where has God called you to invest and to fertilize and to wait? When the world says hurry, Jesus says, wait, put down the axe, not just yet. He is the picture of this. Lest we get too far afield from what the whole point of this is, Jesus was chopped down for you. When you and I were not producing, when you and I were thick in sin, when you and I were not really worth much in the garden of life, Jesus said, you know what? Put the axe down, dig around it, fertilize a little, give me some time. And as you read the cosmic story going around us, Jesus was chopped down on our behalf. Jesus took the punishment you and I deserved. So you better believe he has a plan for your life. He didn't do it for nothing. He did it for something. He did it because there is a plan for your life. There is a purpose for your days that he knows the plans he has for you. Will you slow down long enough to hear them? God is unmistakably presence. Will you slow down long enough to give life a chance to breathe? Will you slow down long enough to notice that the God of the universe is speaking to you? And sometimes it's through audible voices and sometimes it's through the flowering tree in the backyard. And sometimes it's in the TJ Maxx parking lot getting pelted with beauty. Will you slow down long enough to see it? So I have three things you can do. You say, this, I need an application. I'm getting ready to give you one. There's a good, a better, and a best. A good one. 
You're not going to like this one very much. I want you to walk somewhere this week. Like not like take a walk, walk somewhere. I'm going to walk to work this week. That takes a while. It's going to cost me time. I'm not going to be able to have a, this meeting or respond to that email. or do. I, it's going to take a while. You will notice things when you walk somewhere that you do not notice when you fly in a car. The challenge is to begin to see potential in things around you. When you walk, you begin to see things. You begin to see the changes in the day-to-day as well. Where's the potential around you? Train your heart to see with eyes of grace. So this week, walk somewhere you would normally drive. That's good. How about better? Better invest in a life. Find somebody that God has put in your life, and I would challenge you to speak grace into their days. Who needs to hear what you see in them? Who needs to hear what their potential is? Who needs to know that you see a possibility in them? God puts someone on your heart when I say that. Oh, it would mean a lot. They're, they're going through a season. But if they knew that I saw that they were blank, that might make all the difference. Slow down long enough to invest in someone's life. Say so the best thing you can do this week, you can walk somewhere, you can invest in another life. The best thing you can actually do is slow down long enough to listen to God. So if that's not a part of your every day, if that's not something you already make time for, Maybe that starts now. So in the morning when you open your hands and you go, your mercies are new every morning, and God, wake me up to the world that you created for me. God, I'm here. I'd love for you to ask God to begin to show you the potential and the possibility that he has for your life. And that applies whether you're 16 or 86 or anything in between. There are still potential and possibility in your life. And I'd love for you to ask that in the morning and then have enough time set aside that you can wait in the silence because it might be days or weeks or months or years of silence, but God will show you. Let God uncover your potential and your possibility. There is a reason he saved you, and there's something he has set aside for you. So as we go slower, your challenge this week, if you remember nothing else, is ruthlessly eliminate hurry. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have the time for us. That when we are uh, a people that seem to let you down, when we are a people that don't seem to grow at the rate you might expect or hope, that your patience and your mercy gives us space and time. That your grace says that there is always, always space for potential. Father, in the slowness of this morning, We ask you to help us ruthlessly eliminate hurry, to make space, to take a walk, to invest in a life, and to hear from you. Father, thank you for your grace in our lives, for your mercy. May we experience it in a new way this week. Amen. Hi again. Just a reminder to let us know that you're listening by heading over to bgcovenant.org connect. If you're ready to be known, we'd love to know you. And we hope you'll join us soon, every Sunday, in person or online. Thanks for listening.